This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Warren Friends Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Warren School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Former chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. I mean, I don't think either of us ever expected that we would live through a financial crisis. Or even the head of the Digital Indian Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. I'm your host, Li Chen Ren, Director of Modern Alpha and Wisdom Tree. I'm sitting in today for Jeremy Schwartz. Our next guest is Dr. Mark McKellen, who is a Rob J. McGullis Professor of Business, Medicine and Policy and Director of the Duke McGullis Center for Health Policy at Duke University. Dr. McKellen is also a former administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and former commissioner of the U.S. FDA, where he developed and implemented major reforms in health policy. Welcome, Dr. McKellen. Jen, it's good to be with you and your listeners. Thank you. Um, let's go to the point. Is healthcare still going to be an important issue in the upcoming 2020 election? And uh, if yes, what are the likely focal points of healthcare debate? Oh, yes, it's going to be important. Uh, it's right up there with the economy, uh, immigration, trade as top issues for the election. And for people who are watching, I'd focus on uh, several big things. One is this country is in the midst of an ongoing debate about what the role of the federal government especially should be in people's health care. And this has been about the controversy over the Affordable Care Act or so-called Obamacare um, in the current um, political environment heading up to the election. Many of the Democratic candidates are advancing um, an even bigger role for government with uh, Medicare for all or uh, a Medicare uh, buy-in or opt-in option for many more people. Um, on the other side, uh, President Trump and uh, his supporters are defending more of a state role, less regulatory approaches like they've been trying to implement in some of their administrative actions. Um, I don't see much consensus developing at that level between now and 2020. So it will be an important election for the uh, future direction of of, uh, health insurance overall in the United States. There are a couple of other issues where uh, there is more bipartisanship um, uh, heading into the election. Um, One of those is around drug costs. So, again, there's some differences in how Republicans and Democrats might like to address the issues of affordability of prescription drugs. Uh, but there are some bipartisan proposals in Congress, and I think it's likely that maybe even before the election we'll see some action uh, to uh, make prescription drugs more affordable. And then behind all this, there's a lot of concern in the United States about the affordability of health care overall. So aside from what the role of the federal government should be and building on some of the debates about what should happen to um, drug uh, costs and how to address them, There's a lot of interest, uh, both at the federal level and in the states, in finding more ways to make healthcare more affordable, from steps like dealing with surprise medical bills to steps like trying to reform healthcare so that it's more about 
uh, value, changing our payment systems in the U.S. from uh, being focused mainly on fee-for-service and volume to being focused more on better outcomes and lower costs. Thank you. Um, there are so many candidates, uh, and they most like most of them have you know their proposal for healthcare. Usually, you know, as an ordinary person, where should we go and try to understand you know what this, their stance are? Well, I guess one thing you could do is listen to the Democratic debates. There will be a lot of them, and there are so many candidates that they usually have to divide the debates in two. Um, the other thing to do is uh, wait a little while. Um, so uh, uh, the the big picture of the, the Democratic uh, Party right now on proposals like health insurance reform is, is really a question of how much to support Obamacare and maybe um, expand it incrementally through things like a, a Medicare buy-in versus how much to go to a much more fundamental reform, uh, so-called Medicare for all, uh, having a, a single payer uh, for all health care in the United States and replacing uh, employer coverage. That would be a huge change. Uh, many people, including me, think it's unlikely to play out uh, uh, politically. The U.S. typically doesn't make uh, big radical changes, in, or not typically, never makes uh, big radical changes in its uh, uh, health care system, at least not in the last half century plus. So I, I don't think it's uh, it's really critical right now to get into the very precise details of all the candidates. Uh, by early 2020, uh, there will be a whole round of primaries, and we may not get down to one Democratic candidate, but I think we'll get down to two or three. And at that point, uh, it's probably worth looking more closely at where exactly the uh, the lead candidates are in terms of these big health care issues. Um, so are there, uh, you know, institutions or think tanks which, um, you know, produce a good reports in, in this area? Uh, there, are, there are a range of reports out there, uh, depending on what you want to look for. i start with putting in a plug for our program at uh, the Duke Margolis Center for Health Policy. This is a university-wide program at Duke, and we have offices in Washington, D.C. as well. And if you go to our website, just Google uh, Duke Margolis, um, you'll be able to get information relevant to a lot of active uh, uh, health care reform issues, including some of the ones that um, I was just uh, describing. Uh, in addition to that, uh, there are several um, Washington think tanks that I think are viewed as relatively centrist, like uh, the, the Brookings Institution and the American Enterprise Institute, who have uh, um, proposals out. Um, more on the left, uh, the Center for American Progress, more on the right, uh, the Heritage uh, Foundation. Um, in addition to all of those, some good sources of basic information and updates on uh, things like candidate positions and issues are uh, uh, the Kaiser Family Foundation and, and uh, uh, Kaiser Health News. They have a lot of good uh, background documents that try to present you know, just the facts. Thank you. Um, so, like I mentioned, healthcare is really 15% of SMP. It's, you know, right uh, behind the financials at the top uh, three sectors uh, when, when, yeah. when investors thinking about healthcare. So right now, in, within healthcare, uh, within SNP, you know, uh, that we also have these smaller uh, industry groups, you know, healthcare services, pharmaceutical productions, yeah. biotech, medical device, and health IT. Which, you know, industry group or which part of healthcare do you think has the most energy and potential innovations? 
Yeah, well, Legion, even though those are subgroups of healthcare, as you were saying, this is such a big part of the economy and an even bigger part of growth in the U.S. economy that uh, each of these sectors is huge. Um, I would, I think, particularly call out um, health IT and, and, and technology um, as an area where the, the impact is, is really maturing. And um, while over the past you know, 10, 20 years, there's been a lot of investment in electronic health records and, and other electronic systems with a lot of government support. I don't think we've really seen the full benefits of those technologies yet. Um, the current administration has made a big push to make the now much more present electronic data in the U.S. healthcare system a lot more interoperable, liquid, and accessible. And I think over the next few years, there will be a number of uh, companies that uh, that will uh, uh, take advantage of this, um, uh, what I hope will be an inflection point in uh, making data really relevant to, to care and improving our knowledge of, of what works and how people can get better outcomes. And I think uh, a lot of that's going to be consumer-facing, so those are areas where Apple and Google uh, barely are making huge uh, investments. Uh, a lot of it may be in more of the, the business-to-business side, uh, so IT uh, tools to help support um, uh, better business models and delivering care or better models for um, choosing what molecule to develop and how to develop it in pharmaceuticals. Um, that's the other point I want to make is that the IT technologies in healthcare, while really important, are not important in themselves. So there are a lot of opportunities for uh, investment in um, uh, new kinds of health service delivery companies that are uh, focusing on empowering that shift I was describing before from volume-based payments to, to, to value, so integrating uh, uh, community-based services, coordinating care, um, having uh, making it possible for primary care doctors to do something about a patient not being able to uh, focus on taking their medicines because they're hungry, they don't have access to food. Um, there's some innovative companies that are uh, doing a lot to, to coordinate care, prevent um, complications, and see a lot of investment happening uh, there, too. Uh, on the uh, drug and, and um, biotechnology side, uh, um, lots of uh, uh, opportunities in um, uh, uh, immune-based therapies like uh, CAR-T, lots of opportunities in um, based on understanding uh, genetics uh, and uh, the genetic basis for diseases uh, uh, better. And uh, uh, I see, uh, again, uh, a lot of investment coming. I should say, too, that FDA has taken some steps in recent years to uh, try to be more predictable, to try to support uh, so-called breakthrough therapies, getting the market faster, and I think that's helped support uh, uh, investment as well. Uh, on the medical device side, I uh, see a lot of opportunities coming in um, uh, smart devices, so uh, um, not just robotic surgery, but robotic surgery that builds in uh, data from a growing number of patients to help uh, support doctors and surgeons in a smart way, uh, a lot of other uh, um, kind of tech-enabled uh, uh, devices ahead, um, lots of uh, uh, opportunities in advanced diagnostics. You may have seen some of the recent announcements from companies like Grail about being uh, making progress on uh, identifying, uh, say, cancers uh, early from just uh, 
uh, vial of blood uh, samples, and lots of opportunities in the area of uh, software uh, as a Medicare device. So uh, AI systems that can help um, physicians and maybe even patients um, make better decisions uh, about their care or get uh, uh, better access to care remotely and the like. So um, I, I don't want to single out any one area because you know, it always depends on what exactly is the, the company's business model and so forth. But uh, um, all of these areas have a lot of opportunities in the years ahead. Thank you. Yeah. So I think in China, you know, uh, in financial industry, we have fintech, which is displacing a lot of the older yeah. financial services. So yeah. I think healthcare is definitely one of the area which will be displacing a lot of existing um, providers. Uh, healthcare. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's right. Um, it's been you know just on that point. I think it's a really good one. People have been talking about that displacement happening in healthcare for you know twenty years, but. Uh, I do think that, that times are changing because um, not only is data more electronic, it is getting more interoperable because um, we are no longer just paying for you know more traditional medical services, but um, paying increasingly on the basis of uh, better outcomes, which give uh, companies in in the healthcare space you know more flexibility in how they you know, how they put together services for patients, including using uh, um, health tech. Uh, I think the next few years are, are going to be bigger changes in those areas. Uh, this is Li Chen Ren, and you're listening to Behind the Markets on Sirius XM 132. My guest of this half an hour is Dr. Mark McKellen, the Robert J. Margolis Professor of Business, Medicine and Medicine as well, Policy, as well as the Director of the Duke Margolis Center for Health Policy at Duke University. Dr. McClellan is also a former administrator of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services and former commissioner of the U.S. FDA. We are talking about the healthcare sector and healthcare policy. Um, Dr. McClellan, this is really interesting. I have so many questions. Um, so in the U.S., um, people have viewed the U.S. as much more strict regulation in new drug approval regarding safety and effectiveness effectiveness. Um, other OECD countries, uh, for example, Japan, has given much more space to the regulation of stem cell and other biotech uh, development. Uh, is the U.S., you know, behind or, you know, what's your view? I don't, I don't think the U.S. is behind. I think you're right that in some areas like, uh, say, stem cell research in, in Japan and, and some of the other Asian countries, the national governments have made that a priority and, and they've actually gotten some criticism from you know the US and other parts of the world for maybe having standards that are that are too low um, for bringing products to, to market and, and not uh, paying enough attention to safety or they've taken some steps to, to subsidize uh, uh, development in those areas um, but that doesn't mean that um, uh, there aren't a huge amount of uh, innovation opportunities in the same in other areas in the United States so um, in the past uh, five years or so, our Congress has passed uh, bipartisan legislation now several times to give the U.S. FDA more resources and more support, not to make regulations tighter around safety and effectiveness, but I would say to make them clearer and more efficient. Uh, so in contrast to most other regulatory agencies, FDA has more resources to put into uh, guidance to give to product developers about what exactly they need to do to show that treatments in innovative areas like um, um, uh, cell and gene therapies or, or, or uh, bio uh, or types of biotechnology really are 
safe and effective new software uh, um, as a medical device, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so FDA has guidance in these areas. They have staff that are able to work with um, companies. So it's not really so much a, a lowering of standards as it is a, an effort to accelerate um, uh, companies doing what they need to do to, to develop their products and show that they're safe and effective and can be uh, produced and, and used uh, reliably. In fact, FDA set up uh, so-called breakthrough designations that in this past year were used for you know, over 40% of, of uh, new drugs. And there also are similar breakthrough programs for, for cell and gene therapies that give companies extra help and faster reviews and getting their products to market if they're meeting an important um, unmet need. So I think the upshot of all of that is that uh, um, you know we are seeing a lot of investment in um, some of these biotech areas in, in uh, uh, Japan and other Asian countries and around the world, but a whole lot happening in the United States as well. Thank you. Yeah, that I think you know we don't want to be uh, we we don't want to be be the uh, lagging behind. Uh, so, yeah. in um, we talked a little bit uh, that healthcare is you know fifteen percent of S and P five hundred. MSCI China um, has three percent uh, healthcare. Uh, Wisdom Tree and um, S and P five hundred strategies have five uh, percent of. Healthcare. The ex state owned uh, Wisdom Tree China strategy has about 7.6%. In, in the you know, Japan hedge strategy has about 9%, and Europe has close to 10%. All these numbers show that you know, healthcare in China is upcoming and slightly uh, more concentrated in private sector, actually. Um, mm-hmm. So, China. Uh, when people live longer, and as Joe mentioned, the society is richer, people spend more on healthcare. Can you tell yeah. us uh, a little bit about your work in China and where are the opportunities of innovation and investment in Chinese healthcare market? Yeah, it's been um, it's been really interesting to spend time in China and get to meet some people who are you know, working in the private sector, trying hard to do um, innovation both in biotechnology and in um, and in med tech and, and uh, um, information technology, digital, as you were saying, and in new ways of uh, delivering care. And I guess one of the things that, that struck me about that is, um, you know, our countries are in very different places right now, but uh, they're both facing the same kinds of challenges when it comes to health um, and, and health innovation. So um, China, like the U.S., has an aging population, in fact, aging even more rapidly um, uh, than ours, so it's uh, shifting into a healthcare system that needs to get much better at um, uh, dealing with chronic diseases and uh, the risk factors and um, early diagnosis opportunities that can prevent their progression. Um, right now, um, both the U.S. and China have a very hospital-centric um, healthcare system, so a lot of services are delivered uh, uh, in a hospital setting or a more intensive setting when they could potentially be done at home if uh, these new uh, innovations uh, and investments in, uh, in, by the private sector uh, take hold more. Um, uh, a lot of um, the, the um, uh, U.S. And, and Chinese care is also uh, poorly coordinated with, uh, without a strong, uh, really strong base in, in primary care. You know, both countries are trying to shore up their primary care and, and coordinated care and home-based uh, person-centered care capabilities, uh, but both have a long ways to go. Um, I think one of the challenges for, for China is now that they've um, consolidated uh, their health insurance plans, their government health insurance plans, in 
um, one uh, single agency that now covers, I think, something like 1.3 uh, billion people is how uh, are they going to use the, uh, the interests of the private sector and the willingness of people who are getting wealthier to pay more to leverage um, turning their healthcare system into one that's really focused on, uh, on people and, and on preventing the, the complications of, of chronic diseases. And the, the U.S. is working through those issues now, as I just said, you know, what, uh, questions like what should the role of government be and what's the role of the private sector. Uh, I think both countries would actually benefit if they could find ways to encourage private sector investments that's not just more of the same old thing so not just you know let's build a, a private hospital that has you know better access to, to treatments for, for for medical complications than uh, uh, than the public hospital does but rather try to encourage private investment that drives these needed changes in how care is delivered so um, in the US we're working on ways where the government can encourage uh, payments that are tied to outcomes for people and to preventing the complications of diseases like uh, uh, a diabetes or heart failure or addressing uh, uh, conditions like smoking that, that lead to uh, higher medical risks. And I think if um, China is interested in uh, encouraging private sector investments in the same direction, um, our countries have a, a lot to learn uh, from each other. Um, one other area where I see some, um, from my time there, I see a real interest and in more alignment is around uh, the, the regulation of medical products, where uh, China has made uh, tremendous strides in, in recent years um, in the capabilities of its um, uh, uh, agencies that regulate medical products, like the NMPA. Um, expanded the staff, uh, uh, learned trying to share and, and, and learn a lot from, from uh, um, uh, experts in the United States and, and elsewhere in the world. Uh, if we can get to more aligned uh, and good, scientifically up-to-date uh, regulations of medical products in the U.S. and China, uh, that would be a great foundation for supporting you know, truly global um, relevant uh, developments and uh, technologies that can improve uh, health for people all over the world. Again, our listeners to know that even though the headline news is all about China and the U.S. conflict, but, you know, from you and Dr. Joe, um, the experiences, you guys have been working really, uh, you know, between U.S. and China, try to, you know, help and, you know, both countries in getting the healthcare policy delivered in a much more market-oriented and efficient way. Um, are yeah. there any other things you work on that you want to share with our listeners? Well, I just uh, just picking up on your last point, I, I do think there are more opportunities ahead in, in biomedicine uh, and medical innovation and the way that we get better care to people where uh, our countries can, can learn from each other and certainly share some similar goals, have some common ground around getting care out of the hospital, around making it more prevention-oriented and convenient, making it more integrated with uh, digital technology and, and personal devices that, uh, that people are using. And um, the benefits from this kind of alignment and, and you know, kind of shared uh, uh, investment opportunities, um, given how rapidly uh, um, spending in healthcare and China is going to grow, and given how much interest there is in the U.S. and making healthcare work more efficiently and effectively, um, I think all that means that um, if we can make more progress uh, together in both countries, uh, we can not only um, do more to make these investments uh, in each of our countries improve health, but uh, we can set a good model for progress around the world. 
Thank you, Dr. McKellen. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, we can great find, to talk with you. Yeah, we can find out more from uh, the Duke Margolis Center for Health Policy at Duke University. It's spelled as M-A-R-G-O-L-L-I-S. Uh, pardon my pronunciation here. I'm Li Chen Rang, and you've been listening to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about Wisdom Tree, visit wisdomtree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. 